0: Well, good morning. You guys awake yet? Okay, good. Good. Well, uh, thanks for for being here. Hopefully, you grabbed a a packet as you came in. Uh, If you are really a structure person, I will frustrate you. I will not go every point in the packet line by line. So just to give you a heads up, I've never been called too structured. So before we jump into stuff, let me just pray for us and jump into our time together. So God, thank you. For each person here, I thank you, as we talk about this idea of trust, that uh, we're just continually reminded that you are trustworthy, and that never changes, that's permanent, that's forever, and thank you for that gift that we always can come to you no matter, no matter what. In Christ's name, amen. So a couple, a couple things. So I love coming to this place, and I'm here with my wife, Carly, We've been married 25 years. After uh, this July, it was 25 years that we've been married, two uh, teenage boys. And I just love this topic. I'm from Valencia Hills Community Church down, we're about a mile from Magic Mountain. So yes, yeah, so, uh, I was getting some teasing from some of them. They're like, can we just go to the other talk and get your packet? Uh, but then I wouldn't trust them very well after that. So no, it's just great to be here with friends and spend some time talking about just rebuilding trust or growing trust or strengthening trust. And I want to uh, just give a disclaimer that I don't have this down perfectly, and I, I've done my fair share of things that can hurt trust. And again, I'm not talking about just the real big obvious things like lying or cheating or betrayal. I'm talking about all the even the little things like withholding love, like being critical, like being a workaholic, whatever those other things are. I want to talk about some of those things, too. So I wanted to share one of my my oops of trust. So I remember one time I went off to a friend's wedding, and, uh, you know, you catch up with people, start talking with people, engage with people, and I was uh, by myself. My wife Carly, I think, had to stay back for work or whatever, and I decided, without talking to her, to invite someone to live with us. A female. Now I got your guys' attention. Yes, so i uh, we, we, we enjoy having people live with us in the past, and that's been a pattern, but I would never recommend that order, um, by the way. So, yes, we've all had times where we need to kind of Go oh, there's some repair needed here, and some conversations that need to happen. And that person ended up still living with us, uh, d- despite some conversations that needed to happen. That th- I don't think this person still knows to this day how it all came about. So yeah, there, we all do these things that can either help or hinder trust, and trust is just so so vital. So I want us to again not just think of re- the real, real, super big things. Even though those those are really obvious, but those smaller things um it could be the person let's say who's really nice in the marriage for a while and then holds all the anger in until what or it could be the the, the sometimes i've had i had someone recently tell me oh i didn't know that part of your story until we're 5 years into the marriage that changes things it feels like there's some secrets that popped up or another one would be the spouse who's con- consistently just like Critical can never kind of measure up, or the put-downs, that just, again, hinders trust. All these things affect trust, and so sometimes it's kind of elusive. How do we regain trust, whether it's the, the big things that are really obvious, or those small things that kind of add up uh, over time? So I want us to also, as much as you can, as much as you can, think about yourself during this talk. All right, Not like, oh, wow, I hope he's taking notes. Okay, that will not go well. That's that's not the point of this. And I understand, you know, uh, there's different stories with different couples. But as much as possible, think, all right, how how can I learn? How can I grow? And just just be one little uh, piece of the puzzle for this weekend that just helps us grow in in the process. So one of the things that I have found in restoring trust is the following. Just saying sorry doesn't work. Right? Just saying sorry. So let's say um, a couple gets into a fight, They voices get raised, and one of them actually says, maybe I should just be out of here, which I, I would never recommend. That never helps. And then a day later, him or her, whoever says that goes, he goes, you know, that thing last night, sorry. How well is that going to go? Not going to go well. So sorry is the beginning point of restoring trust, not the whole point. So I've had many, many couples, well, I've said sorry, and the person on the receiving end, I'm sick of sorry. I need a lot more than that. I need a lot more action, openness, transparency to restore what was just happened in that argument or that type of thing. So I actually had an a individual recently in my office who it was like, I've probably said sorry 50 times, and now she's more irritated than ever. Because there's a lot of other ingredients missing. He keeps just saying sorry when he doesn't know what to say. And then it's just frustrating. And then he's like, I'm saying sorry. What else does she want? By the way, that phrase will never work. What else do you want? That phrase I've never heard go, oh, we're better now. All right. So just also a little bit about those who know me. Uh, I, I do like the tough conversations. I probably like them more than I should. Uh, prior to, I'm a pastor now. Prior to that, I was a social worker. I'd be the ones going into homes, taking kids out uh, for abuse and all that. And I par- partially sometimes miss that job. I'd like, like, here we go, some confrontation stuff. So some of you are like, are you kidding me? I don't like confrontation. No way. And, and I get Everybody has a different personality. So that's where I'm coming from. And I realize, though, that everybody has a little different bent on stuff. So all right, we're actually going to jump into uh, the packet a little bit pack it a little bit. So what I'm going to do first, this first page is really going to be about, for all of us who've broken trust in some ways. And okay, I made up an example here. I made up an example. I know it's a little stereotypical, and this can go across different, different situations. So the situation is here where the wife catches the husband looking at porn. That's kind of the thing on paper. I realize, I know Tim mentioned Last night, sometimes that's the, the female lately sometimes going on in marriages, and this could be other things. It could be the wife is more emotionally connected to her parents still compared to the husband. There could be all sorts of trusts broken. This was just for illustration's sake. I'm not trying to pick on men and need men to be upset that we're like, oh, this is all about us changing. Okay? It's, it's both sides here. So this idea of restoring or growing trust actually requires something that we have mixed emotions about, and that's vulnerability. Vulnerability. All right, we're going to do some interaction stuff here. I would love for you guys to think of, can you think of times in the scriptures that Christ felt vulnerable? Out loud, just give me some, something. When he wept about Lazarus, absolutely felt vulnerable, yes. Right, in the garden, he's weeping, blood, right? He goes, Abba, Father, right? Yeah, He, he. what's your will? Not my will. Absolutely, giving up his will. What else? Yeah, just just think. Peter cuts off the soldier, and Christ could be like, "Okay, that's just part one. Let me show part two, right?" And he restrains his power. He restrains, kind of lashing out. So keep going. There's more. Keep going. Forty days, forty nights, all alone. Doesn't have anybody with him, right? He could have used his power to do stuff. Yep. When he was betrayed, absolutely, yeah. by Peter, and then the other disciples ran to, like, here's my best friends I just spent three years with, and I'm going to go die for them. And they betray me because um, they're embarrassed. When he was crucified. He right, was... crucified, had barely any clothes on. Right? When he went, to preach in his hometown. went to preach in his hometown and wasn't welcome back. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yep, he was minimizing his role. Oh, isn't that, you know, the son of... Yep, to actually know what Jesus is going to do and still go wash his feet. Like, I'm going to wash the feet of the guy that's going to turn me in for some money. All right? Uh, how about actually going from heaven, all the glory, to being a baby and being dependent, like, on a parent to take care of your needs? So Jesus gets this idea of vulnerability, and he he's lived it. This is not just a conceptual things that Jesus knew about. It's something he experienced, lived, and knows what it's like to feel vulnerable and actually chose to be vulnerable on our behalf. He actually chose that. So he models this, but this is really hard for us to do. And here's what I hear a lot of kind of themes as I meet with people is this. I want a lot of closeness and emotional, relational intimacy and a a thriving connection in our marriage, but I, don't, I want them to go first with vulnerability. Can they just go first? Because vulnerability is risky, right? All right, what are some all, what are the risks? Again, out loud, what are some of the risks with being vulnerable for other people that couldn't make it to him? All right, what are some of the risks for couples if they're vulnerable? What are some of the risks? Rejection, Rejection. that's probably the biggest one. Being judged, absolutely, but someone else, Criticism, being put down. What's that? Crying, 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 crying alone, maybe. Have, have Disappointment. Got, having to come back six months later to like you. Yeah, yep. Someone brings it back up in an argument, right? You're vulnerable in a conversation here, and then an argument later, well, you know, and it gets thrown in your face. Like, you're thinking, oh, that wasn't worth it. That wasn't worth it at all. So. Vulnerability is absolutely essential. So this idea of just saying I'm sorry is a starting place, not the whole place, to hopefully lead to places of vulnerability. And vulnerability is really, really, really tough because we always want the other person to go first. There's risk. But a healthy marriage is with two people that actually have a significant amount of vulnerability going on. They're open with each other. They're transparent. They talk about some of the hard things. You have conversations with your spouse that you don't have with anybody else on the planet. Right, that's one. The exclusivity of marriage is you have these conversations that you don't have with anybody else. Okay, so again, I made up a scenario. Again, this can be the situation. The details can be really different. Of let's say uh, the the husband is caught looking at porn. What would it look like for him not just to say I'm sorry, but to actually be personally, emotionally vulnerable? Because I guarantee if he just goes, you know, I'm I'm not looking at anything, and I'm sorry. Can we just have a little more peace in our house? That's never going to work with that because there's no vulnerability there. So this, uh, kind of this first page, it says rebuilding trust requires vulnerability. Um, so another one, number one would be uh, he's willing to show up at a group and face the unknown. I've had guys say this, you know, I'm going to do whatever it takes for my wife after what happened, but I don't need outside help. And I'm actually tempted to be sarcastic in that moment after watching. That's one of my own issues. (laughs) Right? I'm willing to do whatever it takes, but I I don't want anybody else to know. Because if I show up at that men's accountability group, that support group, 12-step, whatever, the Celebrate Recovery, whatever it is, that requires vulnerability. That requires other people who might know my stuff. So the all-American way of growth is this. I got it. I got this. I can handle this. I got this. But there's no vulnerability in that. And, and how, long does, how well does that idea of work? How well does that work if we just go, I got this? It doesn't work. So just showing up at a men's Bible saying, instead of saying, hey, pray for my uncle. He has cancer. Again, there's nothing wrong with praying for other people's cancer. Showing up at the Bible saying, it says, I blew it. I'm hooked on porn. Now that's vulnerability. Like, and the risk there is awkwardness. I've had people say, well, I don't want to have like, socially awkward things happen. Right? So again, there's risk here with being vulnerable. Another example would be um, he's willing to get some help for himself. I'm a little biased here. Yes, I'm a pastor, but I have a counselor hat, so I'm a little pro therapy. So that's just because of my, my bent there. Uh, he's willing to look at the pain in his life, not just stop a behavior. Not just stop a behavior. Pain fuels bad habits, it does. We all want a sense of escapism sometimes, and pain can really fuel it, and to actually look at that. Another one, this is really essential here, number four, he's willing to look at the shame that's involved. Uh, This this could be another whole talk, but one of my personal beliefs is shame is one of the greatest, if not the greatest, deterrent to spiritual growth. I've never seen anything greater um, than shame and deterring our spiritual growth. Because and it's the word shame is used over hundred times in the Bible, and it's the first sin, like consequence of sin that came out of Adam and Eve sinning. Genesis end of Genesis two says they were naked and what? Not ashamed. At the end of Genesis two, it doesn't say they were naked and happy, naked and having a good time. No, it says they were naked and what? Unashamed. Adam and Eve sin in, in verses 1 through 6 of Genesis 3. In verse 7, all of a sudden they realize they're what? They're nakedness. The first consequence listed was shame. So anytime we try to work on habits but we don't address the shame, we're kind of putting a band-aid on a broken arm. The band- but that's really tough. Uh, I, I know the people from Glen State Hills have heard me say this before, but if you ever go on an airplane and don't want someone to talk to you, just set a shame book on your lap. That you start reading during the flight, and they will not say a word, because it's such an awkward feeling. No one wants, and shame can come from outside and from within. Shame can feel happen to you by what something does to you, or shame can feel how you feel about yourself. It can come from both, both sides. So, looking at shame is absolutely essential. Another one. This is really. This is about as big as it gets too. Willing to look at the pain that he caused. I, I can't think of something that helps couples repair trust when they than this one. So again, again, that guy who looks at porn or that could be all sorts of other issues, he goes, I'm willing to look at her in the eye and go, I don't want you to move on. I actually want to listen to the pain I caused you, and I won't be defensive. I've said that to couples in my office. And she goes, I think I'm going to faint if you ever did that because that by the way that's not human that takes holy spirit work cuz no none of us want to do that none of us want to go i'm willing to sit there listen to it and be present with it and not be defensive about it but when that happens it's amazing i can't think of anything else that rebuilds trust than that and again it could be another issue let's say you have a, a wife who i don't know she's she loves her kids way more than her husband right that kind of tim talked about that briefly yesterday and so imagine if she said him i'm willing to hear how you felt alone in this home how i prioritized our kids over you i'm going to listen to how this affected you and i won't be defensive and i won't explain it away and he'll look at me like is this for real real really but that takes holy spirit stuff that is not natural behavior that takes the work of god in us to act that way because all of us either want to either move on or explain away, or respond and say, well, you're pointing that one thing at me. I have about five things I need to bring up with you. Uh, Another one. uh, is willing to let one or two people in church know that they don't have it all together. Uh, Willing to pray, even though it might feel awkward with the spouse. Willing to have access to uh, the accounts. And willing to admit emotional needs. Again, these things only happen with God's help. Again, I've had, I've had guys say to me, can I just go work a 24-hour shift for my job instead of do some of these things? Please. Like, I'll get a second job before I have to do some of these things because this is really, really, really tough stuff. Okay, so here's what we're going to do now. I want you to take, like, two minutes and actually talk about what you're thinking about with your spouse. And please don't go, oh, these are really good for you. Please, that will not uh, I think the s- slots might be already filled for our marriage coaching. So I- I'm going to encourage you to actually talk with each other at a marriage conference. And I hope you share a little bit about yourself, like, oh, this would be hard for me. All right, don't highlight them and hand them to your spouse. You know, this would be good for you. I want you to take a little bit of time, talk to your spouse, go break chat. Be relational with your spouse right now about what you've been thinking about the last 10 minutes. All right, come on back. I know I'm interrupting many of you. All right, again, I want to make this a little bit interactive. I'm looking for two or three people to share something out loud. What are you thinking about? And again, please be about yourself, not your spouse. Two or three people, yes. So Real loud. For number four, or number five, when you're talking about to the pain. Yes. I think the other part of that, the comma, is and give them permission to bring up any unresolved stuff? Yeah. In the future. Yeah, your freedom. I'm not going to shut you down. I mean, from the past. right, right. Yeah, shutting people down never helps trust at all. It's like saying, you don't have any freedom, but trust me. Right? Yes? For me, it's hard to be vulnerable um, sometimes because I just want to voice what I voice and not receive advice on how to solve it. Oh, so you want to be vulnerable and not have him solve it in two minutes? Yes. You sound like a normal couple. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, that sounds really normal. So real quick, I'll get to yours. I I just think here's something that I know we've done plenty of times in our marriage. I simply say, do you want my thoughts on that or do you want me to listen? And because in the past I've guessed and I guess wrong, right? And in my head I'm like, you know, I do this stuff for a living. I can help you in all my humility, right? But I guarantee you, that's not what's needed. 95% of the time it's just hear me out, hear me out. Yep, that's really good. I th- point back here, hand, yeah. Right, navigating that. Here's here's what I say to that. Relational um, pain requires relational healing. Relational pain requires relational healing. So let's say someone does go through something traumatic earlier in life. I've never heard the following story. I went through this traumatic thing when I was 15 I read a blog about it, and now I'm good. I've just never had. What I have heard is the following. I talked to my spouse, and they were amazing in their unconditional love for me. Or I connected with God, and I really absorbed and not just knew about his grace towards me. I connected with the scriptures, and I realized how I'm never alone in this. And that helped the healing. So again, relational pain requires relational healing. Uh, But I think that, that, again, that takes some some risk to even even go there. All right, we're going to look at the next page. I want to talk a little bit now for the person, which is all of us, who've actually been on the the receiving end of some broken trust. Maybe that um, they've withheld love from you, or uh, you feel like they treat you like a roommate, or whatever the situation is, you've been on the receiving end, how to walk that well that honors Christ. Again, some general principles here. So, uh, again, I use that example for the husband and wife situation. She was hurt by the pornography, but again, some of these things I think can carry on in many situations. So, number two, for instance, if she was hurt by her husband's looking at porn, she seeks to continually be vulnerable in her prayer life with God. She doesn't just say, God, take care of him or do something to him. She goes, God, can I go to you with my hurt? God, I feel invisible. God affects how I view myself. God, am I not enough? All those things, am, am I going to God? Because sometimes I've seen this. When there's a lot of hurt in a marriage, the person who's hurt sometimes can shut down from everyone and everything, including God. Again, and then, then that's not going to help with any type of healing. Um, she, number three, she does not understand the concept of trusting is not an all or nothing, but a gradual approach that's depending on trustworthiness. Uh, in the Bible, there's all these one another, right? There's love one another, care, pray for one another, all that. There's actually not trust one another. Actually, that's not one of the one another's listed. There's actually, in Proverbs, is really clear about trust both those that are trustworthy because don't trust the fool, basically. So sometimes, trust will even go up and down in a marriage depending on the trustworthiness of one of the spouse. Another one would be uh, number... Number four, find healthy ways to express the hurt. Uh, that's really, really significant. Uh, number seven, willing to look at the heart of maybe resentment then it grows. And number eight, here's really a really significant one. When she's sitting at church, she does not numb herself. Let's say she's been hurt by his porn. If she's becoming numb to every other part of life. Uh, numbing just as a way of coping. I, I I see this a lot in my office when I I do counseling. I'll I'll talk to someone, and they'll say, "Yeah, when this happened," and they're talking about like really traumatic, really serious stuff. But their tone is like they're talking about the weather, and they've just numbed themselves just to get through their day. And I'll and I'll actually say to them, I'll, I'll say to the person, "It sounds like you're kind of. I wonder if you're numb with all the stuff you told me about." And then often there's what. There's, like, these tears that start to come because, like, that's just their, their coping style just to deal with, with, deal with life. But then it becomes numb to everybody else, including God. Um, willing to get help herself. I've heard this a lot, so, uh, let's say, in this situation with a female. Uh, she's like, it's not fair for me to have to go get help. He's the one who caused all these problems. That's not fair. So, again, th- th- that resentment can really fuel us and make us uh, ha- have some challenges. Go to the next page. Next page. Just a list of patterns that help us heal in relationships. Uh, uh, Self-beat-up. Anybody Anybody? professional self-beat-uppers? Okay. Oh, five of you, okay. Um, imagine if we actually really, uh, I would say, not just knew about God's forgiveness, but absorbed it. Anybody here ever have like a regret that pops up in your brain? Like you're just driving somewhere, and that that, that pop-up thought kind of just like, like, where, where did that come from? Wouldn't it be amazing if, like, our very next thought was, Oh, this is so good. I'm forgiven. Yeah. As far as the east is from the west, I'm forgiven. This, this is a good day. Because, you know, it's really clear he's forgiven me, he doesn't hold that against me. But that's not what we do. Forgiveness sometimes, I think, is more of a conceptual thing, not an experiential thing in our Christian life. Versus like, he's forgiven all those things. Everyone, even the ones that no one else knows about or the ones that just kind of nag at us sometimes. He's completely uh, f- forgiven. Keep going, another one. Uh, number 10, avoid pa- emotional pain or go to God with all pain. One of my my favorite thoughts in regards to our emotions and when there's trust is this. Every emotion I feel is a chance to connect with my Heavenly Father. Every emotion I feel Every emotion I feel is a chance to connect with my Heavenly Father. So imagine uh, for those of you that have uh, kids, how much do you want them to open up to you when they have a hard day? Of course we do. Let's say they had a hard day with a teacher or a, another student or peer, whatever it is, and they come home and they're, let's say they're quiet. As a parent, we would want them to say, hey, what's wrong? And they open up, right? And even though it's probably tough for us to hear because we want to protect our kids and have them have a smooth day, there's actually a sense of, of joy that they felt the freedom to open up to us. Right? We, as a parent, we're like, there's a sense of we're connecting now because there's transparency with my little boy or little girl. And there's actually a sense of we feel closer because of this. There's actually a sense of joy. And I would say God feels the same with us. When we go and go, God, can I tell you about my disappointment today? Or can I tell you about one of my uh, things on my bucket list today? Can I tell you about my shame today? My bored today? My anger today? There's actually a sense of greater connection that happens. But sometimes we have this idea with the negative ones, I'll work on that and then I'll get to God. Uh, Or just help me not get mad. Or just help me not. And it's not about connection, it's just about behavioralism. And he craves connection Far greater than any of us have ever tried to crave connection with our kids. I think that's just a humbling thing for those that have kids to think he longs to crave with you and I far greater than you ever long to connect with any of your kids or grandkids. I mean, just a, that just as mind blowing to think of that craving that he has for us. But sometimes when we feel, you know when life's really tough, that that those thoughts kind of go out out the window. Uh, some other really significant ones here. Uh, Number 16, the spiritual routines are really essential, even in the pain. Sometimes we can forget the, the, even just going to church, a little time of prayer, a little time of reflection. Um, Even in our pain, is really essential. It's really, really essential. The last one is this, when will they be over this? Um, By the way, if you ever hurt your spouse, that phrase will never, that actually makes it worse. All right, so if any of you in the room actually have hurt your spouse in a really significant way, here's what I say to them. Please take as much time as you want to forgive me. I don't want to rush you a bit. You can bring this up in a year or two. That type of wording will actually help them want to get closer to you. Anytime you say this, it's been six months since that argument and you still bring it up? That actually is like saying, I want to just push you way further. I don't really care about you, I just care about my peace more than I care about your pain. That's the message that gets sent. I know that's not always intended, but that is the message that sometimes really gets, uh, really gets sent. All right, we're gonna go another page here, another page. Actually, I wanna tell you a story real quick before I do this. this, is, this part of this requires us looking at ourselves, and hopefully in a healthy way. I, I remember I was talking to this one couple uh, in a counseling appointment, and within like 30 seconds, I could tell they had a mental top 10 list on how much their spouse was an idiot. And I was supposed to be the judge and jury about who's right and who's wrong. And you could just say, like, I'm like, hi, how are you? He's a jerk. <laughs> it was, it was like, you could just tell. So I, I, I was going to have a little fun with it. So... I decided, hey, before we jump into the issues, can we just, can I ask a little about you guys? And they're like, well, okay. And I said, I'd love for each of you to think of like two or three things that you do that makes the marriage more difficult. And then they're both irritated, especially the wife. She was just, she almost wanted to slap me almost, the look that she gave. And the, the husband was like, he look, he, sometimes the husbands will look at the wife to see if they're looking and then give me a look <laughs> and that's exactly what he did he noticed she wasn't looking at him he was just like <laughs> and then he smiled at her when she looked and so I, he goes uh, I'll, I'll go first so he said something like I, you know I'm spiritually passive a little bit and and sometimes uh I just want to avoid situations so I avoid stuff I go to the garage I don't even like I just tell her I give her space, but she feels ignored and abandoned, and all that stuff. And I'm like, oh, okay, and she's like, "Well, yeah." And she was like, "Well, that's it." <laughs> but, you know, I'm like, "This is gonna be an interesting conversation." And then I go, "How about for you?" And she goes, "Can't think of anything." <laughs> and the husband was like, he gave me this look of almost like a warning. And I was like, wait, you can't think of anything that you do that makes the marriage more difficult. Well, no, because he starts it all. Hmm. And I was thinking, what should I do here? I go, can I just brainstorm with you out loud to see if I can find something? And she took me really seriously. I was honestly a little sarcastic. My heart wasn't purest in the that moment. And she goes, well, sure. And i like, well, do you think you might ever blame well, maybe that you put it that way, maybe. And she goes, oh, I came up with something. I'm like, the husband was ready to like be all excited. He goes, she goes, I have type 2 diabetes. And so we have a little few more medical costs. So yeah, that's the one thing. (laughs) So we then talk a little bit more and then more, and then I finally go, I wonder if you give him all the power over your mood. And then now she's mad at me. She's like, he's no longer the jerk I am. And we can laugh about this story, but we all have a little of that in us. Right? We all have a little of the, like, if they would just change. So here, here's, my, here's the way to think about it. Let's say, in your humble opinion, you have an argument with your spouse. And in just that all humility, you're like, it was 95% their fault. Right? It, was, it, it, you know, it was obvious. It was just obvious. Here's what I hope you would do. You would take 100% of your energy to focus on your 5%. percent you take 100% of your energy to focus on your 5%, because that's what you can control. We can't control their outcomes. We can't control if they're in a good mood, a bad mood, how they're connecting with God all the time. Now we can influence, yes, but we can't control that. But that that goes so against every part of our, our being, what Adam and Eve did, what we do, what that one couple did, that just is so hard for us to go, okay, yes, they raised their voice, but let me look at my 5%. Let me get my part. I go to page four. Page four. Uh, we're looking at uh, Hebrews uh, chapter four here. A great, great scripture. Hebrews four says this: Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into the heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold f- firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who's been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Here, this is where I hope that our faith can make a radical difference when we're really frustrated in our marriage, is Jesus gets it. He actually not just understands just a general idea. He, he actually has been through a lot of the same things we've been through emotionally, relationally. Now, the details might be a little different, but he's, he gets it. So some examples. He understands what's it like to give kindness and receive betrayal. He experientially really knows what that feels like. He gets being rejected by multiple people. He uh, understands asking God to remove pain and having re- his request denied. He gets what that all feels like. He understands feeling alone in the midst of great pain. When he was on the cross, he said those famous words, Father, why, why have you what? Forsaken me, right? He's quoting from Psalms 22. Some translation says, why, why have you abandoned me? Right, he gets what's that like. He understands what it feels like to be insulted and abused. He understands the experience of people caring about him only if he meets their expectations, Conditional love, right? Just think of the, you know, riding on a donkey the week before, right? And if he meets expectation, there's love. And sometimes that happens in families. I'll be loved if I, do all the ch- I check all the boxes. If I'm really sweet, I'm really nice, I bring home the money, I do this, or I do that, I, whatever it is, then I'll be loved. Or this, he, understand, he understands feeling abandoned. All right, let's do this. Take two minutes, talk to your wonderful spouse about what do you think about this page that he gets it. And whoever talked least last time, you go first this time. All right? What, when you just hear Jesus experience these things, what goes on in your brain? What goes on in your brain when you realize he went through these things? All right. Come on back. Come on back. All right. We're just going to jump to a few more practical things. We have about 10, 15 minutes left. A few more practical things just about, about trust. All right. A couple of practical things is this. One of the things that gets confused a lot in what I call uh, like Christianville is uh, forgiveness is the same thing as reconciliation. And they're not the same at all. So you might forgive a friend, a spouse, but that doesn't mean you trust them yet and reconcile. So forgiveness, this is my, this is my definition, is uh, giving up the right before God to get back at them. It's just, I'm giving up that right. I'm not going to hurt back, get back at them. Again, you can forgive somebody and actually not talk to them. Versus reconciliation requires what? A moving closer to restoring trust. So like it's really I've had this happen like in, uh, in church settings all the time where someone will say, well, I thought you forgave me. Right? So I, the following situation, I've seen this happen type of thing. So again, we we'll go back to the guy and the pornography thing. So let's say she goes, yes, that was nine months ago. I forgive you. And then it's been like, in it's been a year or so since the incident happened. And then all of a sudden, uh, he's getting ready for his day at work. He walks out of the bathroom getting ready. And he, he notices she was looking at his phone, saying like just double checking. She's probably feeling insecure or whatever. She just has that sense. And he goes, what are you doing? I thought you forgave me. Implying, I thought you still 100% completely trust me. And she's like, Yes, she has forgiven. She was not decided not to get back at him or hurt him back or whatever it is. But trust isn't going to happen right away. And so he gets all defensive because he's like, I thought you forgave when really it was a trust issue. And trust sometimes can take years to rebuild when there's some sense of of hurt or betrayal. So that's just really, really uh, absolutely essential. To, to think of the difference. Another one is to think is this. Maturity will always happen faster than trust. Maturity will happen faster than trust. So again, that, again, that, that couple, let's say the guy has not been looking at porn for like a year, and he's, and he's doing really well, and his trust with her has been going about 10 miles an hour, even though his maturity has been going about 50 miles an hour. He's been re- and he goes, how come you're not noticing or saying anything because the trust will always go slower? That's really impo- that can be really a sticking point for couples in, with the, the speed of maturity is really going to go faster than the, the, the trust factor. Another one to think about is, uh, is this. This is really a, a good just a Christian principle is this. God, help me seek growth greater than relief. Help me seek you more than relief of the, the, the struggle. Um, another one is, and I, I'm not sure if Tim will talk about it because I know this came from the Gottmans. Is uh, notice the bids for connection. Notice the bids for connection. I, I think this is, I think a great phrase that the Gottmans ca- came up with this, and this, this affects every relationship, not just marriage, but with kids, co-workers, whatever it is, in all the real, real subtle, subtle ways. So, like instance in my own marriage. Okay, so my wife Carly is a labor and delivery nurse. Sometimes she'll tell me about a birth story. She'll tell me some birth story about some woman I've never heard of. Intrinsically, do you think that's my top interest? Here's what happened, and the doctor did this, and there's this, and here's her birth plan. Right? No, or, uh, to be fair, on both sides, we're on vacation. I'm reading a book on domestic violence, and I'm like, hey, can I share with you what I learned? And we're at the beach. And I guarantee you, there's no part of it that's like, let's talk about domestic violence on the beach and on vacation. Are you getting me? Right? It goes both ways. It really goes both ways. Or I had a couple one time in which the, the wife was really relational and the husband was really into IT stuff and tech stuff. And he goes, can I tell you about this new product I saw online? I said, Really? So one of the things we have to be really careful about in protecting our marriage is if we only listen to things we are interested in, we'll, we'll actually fuel the fire to having a potential roommate marriage. One of the reasons that I think really God wants us to listen to those things, whether it's the labor stuff, to my book stuff, to IT stuff, is not because we're interested in the topic, it's because who's sharing the topic? Our spouse. So that That is that is a way to really really grow trust. Is goes I'm willing to listen to stuff you talk about, even though the actual topic is not in my top hundred thoughts or thousand. Yes, thank you for other couples. Yes, yes. So again, if we only show interest, it's going to be really hard to to, uh, build those blocks of trust because. That's how the world works in a, in a work setting or friend setting is you just talk about what? The things you're interested in, and if you're not, you kind of walk away like, I have to get back to work, right? But if you're interested, you kind of keep the conversation going versus I'm listening because of who's sharing the topic, not because I'm interested in the, in the topic. All right, I want to share, uh, it's actually, this will be on page 10. This was uh, written by Gary and Carrie Oliver. And it's just this, I just love the humility in this prayer that, that they wrote together. It's is I just think it just gives a summary of the humility God wants us to have towards each other. It says this, Jesus, look at me. Page 10. Show me my weakness and strengths. How am I doing loving my partner? Jesus, if I were kinder and gentler today, what would that look like? I think I might speak more softly. I would listen to my spouse today. I would say I love you. I would touch this person you gave me. I would say I was sorry because you love me, Jesus. I might even be willing to face conflict with my spouse or take responsibility for something I said or did. I might let my spouse see my heart as I'm doing with you now. Thank you for this mate that you've given me. Help me to see what I need to change in order to love well. I know that you love me well in spite of myself. I believe that as I do these things and I pray this prayer continually, I can work through my emotions to better. I can look at not only how I feel about how we, uh, we both feel in our marriage, and that gives us hope for a deeper intimacy. I think it's just really well, well said. All right, here's what we're gonna do to end. Here's what we're gonna do to end. I want you to take two minutes, again, with your spouse, and just talk about what's one thing you wanna remember from today, from just this, this, this talk. Just this talk. What's one thing for yourself? For yourself, what's one thing you want to remember? And then we'll wrap it up. Take two minutes. What's one thing you want to remember? Then we'll come back. All right. Come on back. I'm looking for two or three people out loud. What's one thing you want to remember that you don't mind saying out loud? Two or three people. Yes, real loud, please. The 100% on the 5%. Yes, that is so much easier said than done. Yes. Listen to the stuff you don't care about. Yep. Yep, absolutely. Something we can do for each other the families. Yes. Vulnerable, yeah. You almost said that with a question mark. Be vulnerable? <laughs> I, won't, I won't make assumptions. That's not good as a counselor. Yes. Yeah, forgive. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, uh, Proverbs 29, uh, 25, 19 says, trusting in a treacherous man is like a, a bad tooth or a foot that slips. All right, so Proverbs actually warns sometimes. With another hand back here, real loud. Yes, yeah, sorry's the beginning, not the whole. That's really, really the last thing. Yes. Really have to get, a handle on shame. get a handle on shame. Yeah. Shame is, is, is so detrimental. Yes. Bring my pain to God. Bring your pain to God. Yeah, one the, a hard question to ask is what pain am I avoiding bringing to God? That's a hard one, yeah. yeah this the morning my wife became a football fan. Oh, she, your wife became a football fan, huh? You didn't talk about about oh, yeah. <laughs> it's interesting you say that with her who had to step out. That's great. That's great. All right. One of the pages we didn't get to here that we're going to end with this is page 11 and 12. It's our identity in Christ. I think that's really essential. Is this our identity always affects our activity? Our identity always affects our activity. So, how I carry myself is always influenced by who I am as a person. So, I think identity in Christ is such wonderful stuff. We could spend a whole time on just those two pages, but. Sometimes if you're like, I wonder why that bothers me, because it might be related to some parts of our identity that needs, needs some work. So thank you guys for being great. The, um, my email's on the front page of this cover page. If you ever want to ask a question later, I'll hang out here a little bit more. I think there's a break. Um, and I think we're back in this room at 10.30 for the main se- session with Tim. So if you want to take a break, go to restrooms or whatever, we'll be back here at 10.30. So let me say a prayer for us, and we'll wrap up our time. So God, thank you uh, that you get when it means to wrestle through stuff, to be vulnerable, you, you get those, those challenging, challenging things that come up in relationships. You get what feels like even to be betrayed. But yet you are the great initiator of love, of grace, of mercy, forgiveness. You initiate that stuff way before we init- come back to you with it. God, thank you for being the great initiator, and we love you in Christ's name. Amen.